Yeah, good morning. Hey, I hope that you are aware of what they just sung about, about the power of the resurrection. That's why we're here. That's what separates Jesus Christ from all other teachers, all other wise men that ever lived, the fact that he got up from the grave, and we believe that at LifePoint Church, and I hope you do too, and if you don't, I hope you're convinced today. There are some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. We do this every week at LifePoint. We give anybody that wants a Bible a Bible, so just raise your hand. The ushers will give you one that's yours to keep. One thing you need to know about us is that we believe the words in there are true, and if you read them, apply them to your life, your life will change, and they will reveal God to you. We believe in Mark 16, verse 6, when it says, An angel said, Do not be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. And we believe that today. There's a Christian fable about a couple of Roman soldiers who were at the tomb when, when they found out Jesus' body was missing. In their mind, somebody had stolen the body, and, and they knew they could get killed for this. So these two soldiers were talking to each other, and one said, well, what are we going to do? What's going to happen? The, the body's gone. We're in trouble. Could he have risen from the dead? And the other one said, look, a year from now, nobody will ever remember this. It's supposed to be funny. You're supposed to laugh. You're supposed to hang with me, okay? You know, when I grew up, I spent... Note to self, don't say that one again. When I grew up, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents, and my grandmother unintentionally shaped my view of God. Now, she did it while trying to keep me in line because I was a rambunctious little boy, quite rebellious. And to keep me in line, she would say, Donnie, God is going to get you. I mean, that'll get, a, that'll get an eight-year-old in line. You know, God's going to get you. Or she would say, God is going to give you a black mark. Now, you better do what I said to do. And, you know, she would say it with that mean grandma look, and I'd be like, okay, grandma, I'm with you. You know, I'm going to do what you say. And while she was only trying to keep me in line, and while, in line, and while she was well-intended, she shaped my view of God. So I saw God as this, this cosmic cop that was just waiting for me to step out of line to give me a kick back in. Or I saw God as that, you know that teacher that wears her glasses, and if that's you, please forgive me, wears her glasses down on her nose, you know, and she just like seems to enjoy giving bad grades. I was looking at God thinking, you know, I really don't know if I want any part of this. I'm too afraid. You know, most of us have our views of God shaped by our upbringings. Maybe it's the way your father treated you or your mother treated you, or, or maybe it's the way a, a, a pastor or preacher presented him to you in ways that aren't real at all. It's been said that God created man in his image and man returned the favor by creating God in man's image. Over the past couple of weeks, we've asked you uh, to hand out and put up on bulletin boards these posters that said missing on the, on the top. And it had a picture, uh, kind of a picture of Jesus or what people might think Jesus looked like. So that was on there. And, and then uh, some numbers to call or a website to look up if, if somebody wanted to find out where the real Jesus was. Because I think so many people today miss the real Jesus Christ. They miss the Jesus Christ that says, I've come so you can have life to the full. And people miss him. So we thought, you know what we need to talk about in Resurrection Sunday? We need to talk about the real Jesus Christ, the one that people miss. The one that people are going through life thinking, is there more to life than this? Could there be more? 
And they've tried Jesus and they've been presented the wrong Jesus and they just threw that away and went on with life and went on living empty trying to find something to fill them up. In Alan Hirsch's book, Read Jesus, he talks about different perceptions people have of Jesus Christ. Kind of like told by the pictures that you look through history and, and see the pictures people have drawn of Jesus. You know, obviously we don't know what he looked like. Uh, so people just speculate, and so throughout time, people have tried to use art to show what Jesus looked like. So I'm going to go through a few of those Jesuses that aren't real, but nevertheless, people still follow them. There's this one, the first one. This is suburban Jesus. He's coming. He's late. He's a day planner, you know. There we go. This is suburban. Now, suburban Jesus is the Jesus that looks, acts, feels just like me. He loves the things I love. He cares about the things I care about. But he's like me. And he understands nothing better than the needs of the suburbanites. The, needs to have ju- the need to have just the right car placed in your garage. The need to have just the right house and just the right job and just the right level of education. I mean, this Jesus is smart. He understands the needs of us suburbanites. And, and people follow him. And say, Jesus, just stick with me and just put this in my garage and give me this house and this job and this many kids and this level of success. And come on, Jesus, because you're a suburbanite like me. You've got blonde hair and blue eyes. And, you know, this is also known as GQ Jesus. You know, he's kind of, he's kind of, you know, he looks kind of cool, I guess. But, but, you know, a a picture of Jesus that says, you're just going to be just like me. That's one picture of Jesus. Another Jesus is Buddy Jesus. I mean, a lot of people... A lot of people, you know, follow Buddy Jesus. They're, they they say, you know, Jesus is really cool. He's cool to hang out with, and and uh, hey, let's have a beer together sometime. You know, that kind of Jesus. It's just no no awe to him. Nothing that's worthy of bowing down and worshiping him. Just a buddy, just a pal. You know, somebody. You know, sometimes you could be with him, sometimes you couldn't. But at the end of the day, Jesus is like everything's going to be just fine because I'm your buddy. Some people follow that Jesus. And they miss it. They miss him. Another Jesus is nice guy Jesus. You know, nice guy Jesus always has a smile on his face. He's always around some kids or in this picture carrying a lamb. I don't picture Jesus walking around Jerusalem saying, hey, I got a lamb and and smiling. I mean, he had some serious business and I'm sure he laughed and all that. But some people just see Jesus as Mr. Nice Guy that's going to give me what I want and wouldn't dare ask me to change my lifestyle and wouldn't dare ask me to make myself uncomfortable. I mean, this Jesus is nice. He's going to like everything I like. And when I go to church with this Jesus, I get some good principles. And if I apply them to my life and to my business, then they end up working and, and things kind of work out okay. But hey, Jesus, church is over. I'd rather you just stay right here at Millbrook High School today. And, and I'll be back next week and, and you can meet me here and teach me some more of that stuff. This is also Sunday school Jesus. I'll be back next week. And it, of course, if the weather is not real good and you know, if the lake, if the water's smooth on the lake, I'm going to hit the lake, Jesus. But then the next week I'll be back because Jesus is nice and he doesn't care about that kind of stuff because he's nice. Then there's another Jesus that a lot of people kind of run from, and that's spooky Jesus. Now, some, and also, this is also called bearded lady Jesus. But, but spooky Jesus or bearded lady Jesus, isn't that kind of weird and spooky? He's got a heart in his hand and it's got a flame coming out of it and a cross stuck in the top of it. Ouch. And he's got light coming out of his, his head and just out from around him. This is like UFO Jesus. This is the Jesus, this is the Jesus that stays 
stuck in the pages of theology books and doesn't relate to anybody. This is a Jesus that stays in the halls of religion and nobody can really relate to him. But yet person after person, after person focuses on this Jesus and thinks he doesn't have anything to say to relate to their life because he's kind of out there and weird and this figure that lived a long time ago. Those aren't accurate views of Jesus. And while a little bit of each of those might be true about Jesus, that's not the real one. And if you're focusing on one of those today, you're missing it. You're missing the point. See, Jesus is not just a good guy. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a wise man. Jesus is controversial. Jesus is hard to understand sometimes. Jesus is the only prophet that ever came out of the grave. And that sets him apart from any other wise man, prophet, good guy that ever walked the face of the earth. You know, 2,000 years ago, when, the two, when Jesus died on the cross, a lot of people thought it was over. But what really happened on the cross was God created a way for mankind to connect with Jesus Christ, with Him, in ways they never could before. And that's what I want everybody to do today, is connect to Christ. To connect your life to His resurrection. Connecting to Jesus is always not easy but it's best and it's right. Connecting to Jesus may require that you change some things about your life, but that's good. In C.S. Lewis's series, Chronicles of Narnia, where he, kinda, he has a Christ figure named Aslan in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And Lucy is, is in Narnia and she's talking to a beaver because in Narnia stuff like that can happen. And she's talking to Mr. Beaver and she's getting ready to meet Aslan, this big lion. And she looks at the beaver and she says, is he safe? And the beaver says, no, dearie, he's not safe, but he's good. And that is Jesus Christ. He's not safe, but he's good. And that goodness and that power is what I want everybody today to connect to. See, Jesus will mess up your life. He will, he will, when you really, I remember back when I first took that step across the line and said, I'm going to follow Christ, it messed up everything. My roommate thought I was a weirdo. He thought I was crazy. He's like, what are you doing? He, he, I would come in and he would say, why don't, come on, man, go out with us. Just, you can be a backsliding Baptist. And I said, well, first of all, I'm not a Baptist. And second, I'm, this is real, man. This is real stuff. I'm not going to back away from this. And it totally messed up my life at 21 years old, and it'll mess up yours too, but that's all good. And that's the real Jesus, not any of those pictures that we just looked at. You know, to find where the goodness of Jesus Christ begins. You don't just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You don't just read there and read about Jesus' ministry. If you want to find where the goodness of God, the goodness of Christ begins, you have to open up the Bible in the very first book in Genesis, and you start to read about God's Love for his creation. And God creates Adam and Eve. God creates well, everything we see. Sometime in the past, God did all that. And he placed man and woman in a garden. And in the middle of that garden, he placed a tree. And because God wants us to love him by choice and not like robots, he said, don't eat of that tree. And if you do, you will die. 
because he's more concerned with our love than anything else. He wants us to choose him. And God wants us to make that choice. And he wanted for them to make that choice. And they made the wrong choice. And they did what God told them not to do. And then forever the garden would be known as the place where sin and death entered the world. And you continue to read on. And you see that God banished Adam and Eve from the garden with two flaming swords that were over the east gate. They were not allowed to enter. And if you start to read the Bible there and keep going, you read a lot about death, a lot about war, a lot about people not repenting, a lot about people making a lot of mistakes. And then after several thousand years, Jesus Christ shows up on the scene and he's got something to say to the religious teachers of the day. He says, look, you guys have got it wrong. You're presenting God in the wrong way. You're burdening people down more than you're building them up. You're making it hard for people to follow God. And I'm here to set what was started in the garden right. And Jesus did that. And he stood in the face of religious teachers and pointed his finger at him and said, You are wrong. And then he looked at the people who had been pushed out of the religious world and said, I want you to know there's somebody that loves you. I want you to know there's somebody that offers forgiveness and power to you. And these religious people aren't it. And because of that, the religious leaders decided that they were going to kill Jesus. See, that alone, that alone should show us that he wasn't just a good man, that he wasn't just wise, that he wasn't just a teacher. Why would they kill somebody that was just that? They killed him because he was a rebel. They killed him because he was controversial. They killed him because he promised to radically change people's lives. And it wasn't through the religion of the day. It was through him. And so they nailed him to a cross. And when that last nail was driven, the religious leaders probably rejoiced and said, Finally, finally, this is over. We don't have to deal with this guy anymore. So the people who opposed him were rejoicing because he was dead. The people who followed him were mourning because he was dead. There's, in in Jewish literature, in Jewish thought, in Jewish scholars, there's this thing called the principle of first mention. And what that means is when, when a Jewish scholar or a Jewish person reading the scriptures would come across a key word, they would ask, where was this word used originally? Where, where, where did this come up before? Where was this word used? And, and because it would, they would actually, the writers, tie things together that were thousands of years apart by using key words because they knew that their readers would see those words and go, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what does that mean? In John 19, verse 41, it says this, At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. So someone reading this for the first time, especially in Jewish culture, would have read, Garden? Wait a minute. I I remember reading about a garden. Jesus was crucified at a garden? He was laid in a tomb in a garden? Wait a minute. The garden is where people messed up. The garden is where sin and death first came into the world. That's what the garden is. So maybe there's a different meaning to this this garden. 
And at this point, Jesus had been executed. He was in the tomb, so they thought. His followers had scattered. And listen to this episode of the post-resurrected Jesus Christ in the garden. In John 20, verse 11, this is with one of his disciples, Mary. Not Mary, his mother, but another Mary. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and, somehow, and, and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was a gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabbani, which is Hebrew for teacher. Now the place where sin and death entered the world was in a what? In a garden. And now the place where death has been overcome, where Jesus Christ had victory over the grave where sin would no longer reign in the world was in a garden. See how God puts things together and connects things for us to understand. But like Mary, a lot of us miss it. She almost missed it. She almost missed it because she was so focused on her own problems. She was so focused on, on her grief and what was going on that Jesus was standing right there beside of her to offer comfort and she initially didn't even realize it was him. And how many times in our lives do we need comfort? Do we need answers? Do we need some depth? And Jesus is right there saying, I've got power that's going to change your life if you would just look up and recognize me and connect with the real Jesus. Another post-resurrection episode was with Jesus and a few of his followers, Peter, James, and John, who were fishermen. And after Jesus had died and they just assumed it was all over, they go back to doing what they knew to do. I mean, you know, they were just trying to cope. Their teacher was gone. They probably thought they had wasted three years of their life. And they go back to fishing. It's recorded in John 21. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. So they thought it was over. They were going back to doing what they knew how to do, and that was fish. And Jesus is on the shore. They don't even recognize who it is. And he says, throw your net on the other side and you'll catch some fish. And two of the three just started throwing their net. And one of them, John, all of a sudden was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Throw my net on the other side. I've heard this before. Three years before that episode in John 21, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 5, Jesus is standing on the shore calling his disciples to follow him. And those same guys were out in a boat. They'd fished all night. They were having problems. They couldn't catch any fish, which means they didn't get paid. And they heard somebody yell from the, sea, from the shore, throw your net on the other side. And they caught fish. So they're like, wait, wait, wait a minute. 
the second miraculous catch. This happened before. Jesus has worked in our lives before, and that has to be him because I remember what he said. And it says that one of them got out and jumped in the water and swam to the shore because he was convinced that's Jesus standing over there because I remember what his voice sounded like. Even though they thought it was over, Jesus, Jesus showed them that it wasn't. Now, what does that have to do with us 2,000 years later? Would you agree that it would take a lot of power to raise somebody from the dead? A lot of power. I mean, it would take beyond medicine, be beyond anything humans could do for someone laying in the casket dead for them to get up and walk. It would take something otherworldly. It would take something that humans can't even comprehend. It would take that much power to bring a dead body to life. And that's how dead Jesus' body was. And yet he was brought to life by the power of God. And if you haven't heard anything else I've said today, take your pen out and write this down on your notes. The same power that brought Jesus out of the tomb is available to me. The same power that brought Jesus out of the grave, up from the dead, in that garden, out of the tomb, forever to conquer death, forever to conquer sin, forever to conquer people wandering through life aimlessly. That power is available to me. And it says so. In the New Testament book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 11, it says, The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. Oh, don't miss that. Don't miss that life-changing power. But I know in a room this size with this many people, there are people who've never felt that power. And there are some of you who have felt it, and you've since let it go. And you're following one of those Jesuses we put on the screen a few minutes ago. There are people who walk through life just wondering, could there be more? Feeling empty. And the things you've tried to fill your life up with, it just hasn't worked. And you wonder, is there more? Well, there is. And it's the power of the resurrected Christ. People have been missing it. For centuries, and people have been saying on behalf of Jesus Christ, take hold of this power that he offers you. When I miss the power of Christ in my life, I tend to focus on my own troubles. My own troubles become my focus. Like, like Mary at the graveside, it's like, woe is me, things are bad, I can't believe I've let life get to this. It's just, it's awful, life is terrible. And Jesus was right there with her. And she didn't even know it. I've talked to people who have lived decades reliving the same mistake over and over again and blaming everybody else. And I just say one thing is what's the common denominator in all those mistakes? And they usually don't come back and talk to me after that. <laughs> but it's true. She was so focused on herself, she missed the power of Christ, almost missed it. And people walk through life and come to church every week and still miss it. When I miss the power of Jesus in my life, like the three guys who went back to fishing, 
I ignore the issues. And I think maybe if I just ignore it, it'll go away. Maybe if I just don't talk about it, maybe if I just act tough, maybe if I take another drink, maybe if I get to another income level, maybe if I get what I want, maybe this longing that's inside of me will go away. And without the power of Jesus Christ, I don't care what anybody tells you, it won't. It never will. But it will with him. When I miss the power of Jesus in my life, like another group of his disciples who saw him after his, after his resurrection, who were walking on this road called the road to Emmaus, and they came up beside Jesus, and they didn't even know it was him because they were so focused on themselves. And, and, and Jesus began to talk to them, and they still didn't know it was him. And they started out their sentence with, well, we had hoped that this was going to be the Messiah. How many times have you started a conversation like that in your life? We'd hoped we could live where we want. We'd hoped we could work out our differences. We'd hoped things would look different by now. We, we, hoped, we had hoped we could retire by now. With Jesus Christ and his power, there's always room for hope, and hope is never over. It never ends. There's never a time when you say, all hope is lost. The real Jesus, the real power of Jesus Christ takes care of all of that in your life. It doesn't make your life perfect. It doesn't make it problem free, but it sure gives you the power to draw from when problems do come your way. And if you've ever gone through something difficult in life and you've relied on that power, you could come up here and tell the story a lot better than I could. Because you know the power of Christ changes people's lives. You know, the world was filled with great teachers. Great men and women who have taught. Great philosophers, even of other faiths, that have had really good things to say. But what separates Jesus apart from those people is that Jesus got up from the grave and none of them did. He did. People believed it. And the world has been changed because of it. If you're a fan of U2, you know that their lead singer, Bono, makes no apologies about believing in Jesus Christ. And one time in an interview, Bono was being asked, don't you think it's kind of far-fetched to believe Jesus was the Son of God? Yeah, he was a good man. Yeah, he was a great teacher and he was wise and had a lot of good things to say. But the Son of God? Isn't that far-fetched? And here's what Bono said in response. No, it's not that far-fetched to me. You can say he was a great prophet along with Muhammad, Buddha, or Confucius, but Christ doesn't allow you that. He's not saying, I'm a teacher. He's not saying, I'm a prophet. He's saying, I am the Messiah. I am God in the flesh. People say, no, Jesus, please just be a prophet. A prophet we can take. So you're left with this. Either Christ was who he said he was, the Messiah, or he was a complete nutcase along the lines of Charles Manson. I'm not joking. The idea that the entire course of civilization for over half the globe could have its fate changed and turned upside down by a nutcase, for me, that's far-fetched. Jesus is different because Jesus rose from the dead. He's different because throughout history, when people thought it was over... It was 
until Jesus came on the scene and said, it's not over. There may be something in your life that you think we've tried hard, we've put out our best effort, and it's over. The relationship is over. Whatever it is you're trying to do, it's just over. With Christ and His power, it's never over. Because of the power of the resurrection, it's never over. It's never over, even when we think it's over. Because of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you've been missing Jesus, if you miss him because you just haven't quite figured it out yet, haven't quite felt his spirit tugging at your heart if you miss him because you know what it's like to have been with him again let today be that familiar voice that those disciples heard when Jesus said put your nets on the other side of the boat let today be that day you say I remember what his voice sounds like and I don't want to miss him anymore If you're, if you're just today thinking, okay, I've, I've got to get in on this, all you have to do is turn that What's Up card over that's in all your programs. Just write anything on there you want to write. Check anything that applies to you, and we will be in touch. If you can't walk out of here without talking to somebody, come talk to me or anybody you see on the stage, and we would we'd love to talk to you. May the power of the resurrection be felt in your life. May you feel the power of the resurrection as you kneel and pray and ask for clarity in your life. May you feel the power of the resurrection as you sit and try to make the money equal the bills and it just doesn't work. May you feel the power of the resurrection as you pray for that spouse who is still a long way from God and you're just aching for them to take steps closer. May you feel the power of the resurrected Christ when you pray for your teenager who's being rebellious. May you feel the power of the resurrection of Christ in your life when you're taking a step into the unknown for the first time. May that power keep you strong. May you feel the power of the resurrection when your boss sits you down and says, you know, we just can't keep you working here anymore or you get the email and you don't know what's going to happen, may you feel the power of the resurrection. And may you feel the power of the resurrection as you pray for God to send just the right person into your life. Or a childless couple prays for their first child. May you feel the power of the resurrection when you say, I'm going to put down the bottle. I'm going to put down the pills and I'm going to live in a new way. May you feel the power of the resurrected Christ in your life because that is real. That's the real Jesus. That's what changed the garden in Genesis from a garden in that, from a garden being something where people remember sin and death entering the world to the garden where Jesus rose from the dead, being a garden of victory 
where we can always have that same power in our lives. Go today, live in that power, enjoy the day that Jesus rose from the dead and every area of your life where you don't feel that power, may you feel it or may you take one step closer to accessing it today. Thanks for being here. Have a great day. Thank you.